0: Well, today we're going to um, begin to wrap up 1 Timothy. <laughs> and I know what some of you are thinking. We only have six more or five more verses in 1 Timothy. Well, we're going to slow down once again. A journey that we started in the fall, and we, we've been studying this letter, and it has been a blessing. It's really a powerful letter, a wonderful uh, text for us to be studying. It's very practical. And uh, what's interesting, as I continue to study, continue to dig deep, is that Timothy, uh, the letter to Timothy, is a call to action. It's a it's a, a call to duty, and we know that Paul sets out uh, with this church to kind of uh, a church that he loved and he really established, and. The church had great roots and great foundation, but the church had drifted, and the spiritual life was being affected. And there was they went from godliness to ungodly, and uh, and they there were a lot of things that uh, we've looked at over these past several months that were encouragements for Timothy to kind of stand up as the young pastor and say, "All right, we are going to change this, or this is what we should be doing." And last week as pastor bobby ended his uh uh, message in verse 16 it ends with this amen this absolute like so be it and then timothy decides to run his ink a little further where it seemed to be a good point to end the holy spirit said nope we're not going to end with this doxology with this giving glory to god Instead, we're going to take it from this high point and come back to an action point. And he ends the chapter, he ends the letter, reminding Timothy of his duty. And he wraps up with two more subjects, both revolving around one theme. And the theme for today and next time that we'll meet is how do we handle treasure? And I was thinking about treasure, and I was curious if you can imagine with me, what is the most valuable thing that you have ever held in your hands? Or what's the most valuable thing that you've ever placed your hands on or you touched? Maybe it's a piece of art or a piece of jewelry or a watch. For me, my mind this week went to a, uh, back in 1999. I got the chance to drive a supercar, an Acura NSX, a rear engine, kind of like a Ferrari, and I got to drive it all over the city of Dayton, because Lexus of Dayton, uh, there was a guy that went to our church, and and they had traded one in, and he called me up, he says, you got to come and see this thing, and I said, I got to drive this, and I think it was the most valuable car that I've ever driven, and it was an absolute blast. For some of you, it might be a baseball card that you have held or seen something valuable. But I think we can all uh, put our minds around holding a newborn baby. That's that. I don't think there's anything that tops that. You handle that treasure with incredible care, don't you? Right? I mean, you don't, I mean, when a newborn baby is handed to you, if the mother will release the baby, right? If that, I mean, that's, that's a big if for some. But I mean, what are they saying? Hold the head, hold it close, don't do this, don't do that. And, uh, and the less familiar you, are, familiar you are with babies, how many, let's just be honest, there's some anxiety. You know, like, hey, I'm holding this treasure in my hands. And the same sort of idea that holding a baby, this great treasure, First uh, Timothy ends with handling treasure. And specifically for today, Timothy is talking about handling or holding on to our wealth. And you say, wait a second, didn't Paul just talk about money just previous to what Pastor Bobby talked about? And I'll say yes, but there's a different purpose here. It's a different focus. Earlier, it was those that were aspiring to be rich. That's what Paul was addressing. And now, Paul is bringing, at the end of this letter, he's saying those who are rich, those who have wealth. And so Paul, I, as I thought about this, he didn't want to leave it with this idea that this love of money. Instead, he comes back and he says, look, I don't want those that have wealth to be falsely accused that they are lovers of money or which primarily included false teachers in the previous context or i don't want them to be accused of gaining this wealth from ill-conceived motive and in a city like ephesus where The church was planted, which was a prosperous city. There would have certainly been Christians that were attending regularly that had a significant amount of wealth. In fact, in chapter 5, we see the distinction between slaves and masters, and certainly that would have been the case. So what Paul does, he addresses finances and says, basically, we have got to be very careful with our wealth, with our Finances. Now, I want to remind you, when we talked about the love of money, we said, look, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. And it's not wrong to possess wealth. We talked about that as well. This is not on the screen, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, it is God who gives the ability or the power to get wealth. In 1 Chronicles 29, 12, similar idea, both riches and honor come from. From the Lord. And so we've got to remember, God, uh, He may not want everyone to have wealth. He doesn't want everyone to be a millionaire necessarily. Uh, but we also need to understand that material wealth does not equate to spiritual blessing. Just because someone has wealth doesn't mean that they are being blessed by God. You may have everything with no blessing, or you could be a person that has very little but completely blessed. You could have everything, but be miserable and rejected even by God. Or you could have very little or nothing, but be right in God's will. And so those distinctions are important. The issue for us, and the question I would ask is, what do you do with what you have? Because I believe that God is concerned with how we use our Money, how we use our wealth. In verse 17, it, it, we're going to read it here in a second. It talks about in the now age, in the, per, in the present time. And you could have this idea in the materi- in material sense, handling treasure and wealth. And it's going to address the rich. And uh, before we read this, I want to just clear up that when it talks about rich from a simple biblical perspective, what does it mean to be rich? Um, how would you define being rich? It's basically having more than what you need. That's that simple. You are rich if you have more than what you need. And so in verse 8, when it mentions food and clothes of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, that we should be content if we have the basic needs of food and clothes. If you have those basic necessities, you are rich or have more than that. Let me just take a quick survey. How many of you in the last week or two have thrown away some food in your house that went bad? All right. If that's the case, you are rich now let me ask you this how many of you have more than one shirt that's hanging in your closet or somewhere in your room all right it may not be hanging but all right if that's the case is there anyone here that only has one shirt because I will give you this shirt and you will be rich as well and uh oh and by the way I just noticed Matt stand up man you got the right color scheme I see it all right give him a hand all right all right nice shirt but that's not your own who else Michelle. Oh, and your mom right next to, oh yeah, all right. But those are not the only shirts in your closet, right? We have some choices, don't we? I'm not leaving this shirt color. I'm just, and then the next time I wear it, like next spring, because I'm not going to wear it ever again now, um, we can talk about it again. But all right, so the idea is that all of us here are rich. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are rich, all right? All right, make sure you connect with someone. Gladys, you are rich. I, didn't, I know you'd look back, but you didn't see. You are rich. And so I want you to say, I'm rich. I'm rich. And you say, well, I, after I pay for the house or my rent or I pay for the, the car or all my bills, I have nothing left, right? And I understand that can be the case. I would say you are still rich because you have choices. You have chicken or beef. Not all of us eat just rice and beans all the time. You have more than one set of clothes. How about transportation? Did everyone here today come by motorized vehicle? Did anybody walk today to church? All right. I don't I don't think so, not here. No one had to ride their skateboard or their bike and they and I would say that if you if that was your basic transportation, you'd be rich. Think about your house, where you live, if you've got furniture in it. One pastor said, we've got all these homes, they are furniture stores. Because you walk in and there's an arrangement of furniture, we are blessed, we are rich. We live in a society that we are uh, overwhelmed with stuff, and we um, we are rich. And by the way, it's not bad it's not something to look down on. It's nothing. There's nothing wrong with being rich or having wealth. In fact, the scripture really uh, looks favorably on those that have obtained wealth. Abraham says it says that Abraham was exceedingly wealthy. Um, How about Solomon? He was full of splendor and it pleased God. And God, when when Solomon asked for wisdom, he said, Yes, I'll give you wisdom, but I'll also give you wealth as well. In the New Testament, we see a lot of people that were wealthy. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman. Uh, philemon a leader in the church and a book in the bible written um, by uh, philemon had a large house he says how about dorcas i mean what kind of name is that but dorcas had a lot of material wealth and she was noted over and over for caring for the poor at ephesus they were rich. There were many people that were rich in that context. And today, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. And uh, I, that's—I can think all I want to say about that. And really, when it hits home closest uh, for me is after I've been on the mission field. I don't know if you've ever been out in a, um, away from America. Uh, or maybe if you've spent some time in an inner city context or something like that, um, I have many, many times come back from a missions trip and said, God, and I look at all the things that I have, and I, I honestly, I'll say things like this, God, this is too much. There's just too much. Um, I don't even deserve half of this. And, uh, and so so I want you, with that perspective, uh, to kind of ha- to look at the verses. Don't dismiss that these verses are for you this morning. They're for me as well. And the text today, as we look at three of the last few verses here in First Timothy, we're going to see three criteria in how to handle treasure, how to handle treasure. Wealth. Things to be aware of. And with that, and you're probably already there, but First Timothy chapter 6. And let's just stand and honor God's word. We're going to read just three verses here. Um, it's after this great doxology, this big amen, so be it. And then in verse 17, Paul comes back and pens this. He says this, command those who are rich, In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18 Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this same way, or in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's where we're going to end is this idea of true life. What does that mean? And uh, let's just pray. Lord, I pray that you would be honored by your word today. Lord, that it would speak loud and clear. God, I pray that we would have open hearts and open ears. God, I pray that everything that is said out of my mouth would be your words. And God, I pray that it would not be um, me talking, but it would be you. And Lord, I just pray this for your glory, for your honor. Lead us now in these moments in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. The first criteria to be aware of when it comes to our wealth or handling treasure is this idea that there are dangers to avoid when you have a measure of wealth. When you have wealth, the first danger is this, is that we must avoid being conceited, being lofty in our mind, one commentator said or to be full of pride. Let's look at it in verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. That's the word there, to think in a haughty way. We are not to be arrogant about anything, but especially when we have a measure of wealth. When you have a measure of wealth, you may have the temptation to feel superior at times. That you are a cut above. Americans are great at this, aren't we? Uh, Thinking that we're better than someone else. We may look down on those that have less. That's certainly... temptation. And what happens is that arrogance turns to pride and you say, well, I'm a little smarter than the next door neighbor, or I'm a little wiser, or I'm able to finance a lifestyle different from someone else with by the car I drive or the house where I live or the vacations that I take. And what happens is the more wealth we end up with, the more that other people will end up serving us right? And so the more wealth you have, the less like you are to probably wash your own car or to mow your own lawn or to do your own laundry or clean your own house. And we have got to be careful when it comes to these ideas. In Proverbs chapter 28 verse 11, it says this, it says, a rich man may be wise in his own eyes. He may feel uh, above. But look what it says, but a poor man who has discernment will see right through him. And so we're not called to be prideful. Instead, we are called to remember where all wealth comes from. It comes from the Lord, period. You say, well, actually, my great-grandma died and she left an inheritance for our family. No, no. It still came from the Lord. You say, well, I worked really hard and got an education so I could get a good job. Listen, it all comes from the Lord. Your ability to learn, your ability to work, your ability, your, all these things are blessings from God. And what I want you to see here in uh, First Timothy, is that it is a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul is serious here. It's very practical. It's very positive, as we'll see. But it says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant. And if Paul were standing here today, I think he would just look at you in the eye and say, don't be arrogant. Verse 17 continues, And he says, don't be arrogant, nor to put your hope in wealth. And that leads to the second danger, is to avoid an overconfidence. Being confident, having too much dependency on your wealth. This is very interesting. Where do you put your trust? Putting your hope in wealth. It goes on to say, it is so uncertain. When you look at your checking account, or your retirement funds, or your life insurance policy? Is that where you put your hope? Is that where you put your trust? It's not God taking care of me, but it's my bank accounts. There's a danger in putting your hope in possessions. The sad truth is the more stuff that we have, and I certainly am susceptible to this, the less we can rely on God. The opposite is true, though. The less stuff a person has, the more they will rely on God. In many cases, there's a benefit of having less because you'll lean on God. I've been overseas and seen people that have literally nothing or so little that it would, it would make you cry. In fact, I've given my shirt off my back to people um, to, because they needed it. But those folks, they would say, look, I'm okay I rely on God. I trust in God. And it really uh, is amazing. I would say if there's one thing uh, that we could identify, there are lots of things, that, but that hurt the American church is our prosperity. It definitely has the ability to hurt us as a church culture. Now, this is not to say that we should be just cavalier with our wealth, that it doesn't matter where our money goes. I was talking with Pastor Pale before service. He says, man, it's about managing our money wealth. I told him what I was preaching on. And it's listening to the Holy Spirit. And when someone is in need or someone needs something special, it's those Holy Spirit promptings that sometimes we miss because we say, well, I'm going to take care of my own needs first. I'm going to make sure all my bills are paid or that my, t- my tires on my car or my brakes, they're going to need to be fixed. And we take care of ourselves first. And it's a subtle distinction. But when we make decisions like that, after Holy Spirit promptings and we don't follow those, what, what it's saying in many cases is that we're putting our confidence in our own wealth. Or even worse, you say, and I don't have my wallet with me, but a credit card for emergency funds. You're saying, you know what, I'm just going to you know, keep that just in case. Listen, God, He's our source. And we need to be careful with how we do that. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 5, I really like what it says. Proverbs 23, verse 5, it says this. says, cast but a glance on riches or at riches, And they're gone, as they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And some of you have experienced this with the stock market or different things, but the reality is there is no assurance. There's not one person here apart from God that can say, I'm confident. You say, well, my money's invested, it's FDIC approved, federally insured. Listen, things can change overnight things it says in scripture to cast but a glance doesn't it right personal tragedy national tragedy physical illness a lawsuit creeps up and then it's gone proverbs 11:28 says whoever trusts in riches will fall wealth is so uncertain and again i want to remind you as one commentator said when you have a lot you trust in a lot but if you have a little, you're more likely to trust in God. And so just it's something to be aware of. And so there's dangers that we want to avoid this conceited or this confidence that can come when wealth is present. There's a second thing that we want to do, is, and we want to answer, what do we do with our wealth? What's our duty, so to speak? And back in uh, verses 17 and 18, let's look at what it says. It says, command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then it goes on, command them to do good deeds, to be rich in good deeds, to be um, generous and to be willing to share. And I really appreciate this verse because it really starts by saying, "Look, instead of putting your hope in yourself or in your wealth, put your hope in God." Because God is a good God, he's a gracious God. He's a, he overwhelms us with blessings in reality. And in other words, I would say that God is not against you having more than one shirt or one outfit or one, more than one pair of shoes or nice stuff. God's not against those things. But what we're seeing here is that wealth should be enjoyed, but God and that God is not upset with a special vacation or with, uh, with certain blessings that, that he gives us. But God does not give wealth for us to be selfish. He, does, he just doesn't. And as I think about it, the highest enjoyment as a Christian person is not to be selfish, but to be selfless with our wealth. You, Dave Ramsey talks about it a lot. If you listen to him on the radio, he says the most fun you'll ever have with money is when you are giving, when you are generous. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And you know what? I've seen bits and pieces of that over the past month here at the Gateway Church. There's a guy at our church that was going to look at something that was listed on Craigslist. And on the way to go uh, purchase something, the Holy Spirit said, no, you give the guy the money and you don't take the product. And he did it and he walked away and and says, man, that was a lot of fun. There's another family in the church that, uh, that heard about a, a, a lady that had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And the husband and wife were going to leave the kids to go on a special trip. It could be her last one. And they heard about the need and forked out a couple hundred dollars said, Hey, have an extra special time. Let this be a blessing. And they shared how much fun that was to be able to give in that way. There's a widow in our church. Uh, she, is, she's, she doesn't even know that I even know that there was a connection, that I was even a, a part of it uh, in the connection side. They had old, ratty clothes that she didn't uh, have enough clothes or was embarrassed, would often wear a jacket, and didn't want to uh, take the jacket off on a lot of cases because she was embarrassed because she had holes around the sleeves and things like that. And what happened is someone said, you know what? I can handle that and blessed her with some new clothes. How much fun is that? It's awesome. Or to buy a meal for someone or pay for someone's groceries before or after you. A proper use of wealth. There is incredible enjoyment that can come, especially when you do it for God's glory. And that's what the encouragement, true joy is not found in consuming things ourselves, but true joy comes when we give. And I'm proud of our church. I, and there, That's just a few examples, and there are examples in your lives that will resound as well. And with that, in verse 18, it says how to handle that wealth. And the first thing it says is to do good. And then it specifies to do good deeds. To do a basic things that are good or noble, to be excellent with your wealth, whatever measure that you have. Back in First Timothy chapter five, it does talk about caring for widows. It talks about a, a family taking care of your family needs, those relatives in need. And I've seen examples of that here at the Gateway Church. Um, one, a, an example that kind of emerged in my mind is several years ago. Um, when I was living in Dayton, our family, uh, we had my sister and her husband, they were visiting, uh, I don't know where, they. I think they lived in Kansas City at the time, and I was buying and selling cars, and that Friday that they were there, I bought three cars at auction, I came home, I cleaned them, put them out for sale, and I sold all three cars in two days. That was pretty remarkable, and so I had this extra funds, and then we were talking, and the the Lord put it imp- impress on our heart to give the profits of those three cars to my sister and her husband because they needed it at that point. And we talked about it, and I said, all right, what can we do here? And we released it. That's doing good with our wealth. That's taking care of our family, our relatives in need. We saw the early church do that in Acts chapter 2. Those of you that know Scripture, they shared, they sold property, brought it so that no one would have needs. We are commanded to do good, and to do good deeds throughout Scripture, not to just necessarily stock up our own funds. But true riches, church, is seen when we help others, when we serve others. And the cool thing is, the reality is that those good deeds, when we do those things, They follow us for eternity. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 14, 13. As I was studying, I came across this verse, and it really is an exciting verse. It says, it starts off a little little slow, but at the end, it's got a huge punch. It says this, it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor For their deeds will follow them. So, every good deed that you do this side of eternity will follow you into heaven. When you give to others, when you give of yourself, you will enjoy the benefits for eternity. Isn't that incredible? I mean, what a a blessing. Never to rust, never to decay. We're talking about true treasure. Here, and not only are we to do good and to do good deeds but it goes on to say that we are to be generous and to be willing to share when i think about generosity the first thing we got to note is that god is a generous god it is god's nature he has modeled generosity for us and we are created in his image isn't that right And because of that, we are called to be generous in our own right. We see uh, a lot of people in Scripture being generous in Philippians chapter 4. It's noted. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonian church, they were extremely generous. And what we're talking about here is writing the check, yes, but also getting involved, doing something above and beyond. As I was thinking and praying about this, I could imagine a single parent needing uh, uh, some help in some certain way, maybe at back-to-school time or maybe uh, an automobile or help with rent or whatever the case might be. And yes, there is the joy of writing that check, that monetary gift. But can you imagine the generosity that comes that not only helping financially, but then getting involved in that single parent's life? Coming alongside, you say, "Well, time, man, yeah, I don't know how I could do it." Well, listen, time is costly, isn't it? Time is money, I and mean, you've heard that. But that fellowship, and it's easy to write the check, but sometimes we're called to be generous, even with our time, with our ability to get involved in someone's life. What we're talking about here is true treasure. It's reminiscent of Jesus' words in Matthew six twenty. In Luke 18 22, store up your treasures in heaven. That's what we're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. That's what we are called as a church to do. So, when we're handling treasure, when we're handling wealth, we, yes, we need to avoid dangers. We need to understand the duty, what to do with it. But then, something else is here in the scripture the development. What happens? Verse 19 kind of captures this. It says this in verse 19, In this way, or as a result, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And this is where it really gets exciting. So we already decided we're rich. We should put our hope in God. We're to do good. We're to share with others. And when we do those things, we are laying up treasure. We are creating a fund in heaven for our behalf. The idea here is that nothing that you ever give to the Lord will ever make you poorer. You will never outgive God. You will never be at a loss when you give as unto the Lord. Isn't that exciting? You have not lost it. Instead, I believe it's an investment. And there are dividends that come when you invest in the kingdom of God. And I think there's dividends on this side of eternity, but then, as we already saw, for eternity, and we'll get there again. was a quick story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Reagan and I were um, at North Point Bible College for a Discover Day, and uh, we had a good time. And I wore a hat. If you've been around uh, other than Sunday mornings, I wear a hat a lot, and uh, I just, I, I like hats, and then I don't have to do my hair either, right? And uh, so th- there's a double benefit. But I was wearing a hat, and someone came up to me and was like, dude, that hat, that's an awesome hat. And I'm like, hey, thanks. And I took it off. I'm like, hey, you can have it. And then I was like, wait, no, no just a second. No, you can't, because my hair was a disaster. And I said, but I'll, but I'll send you a hat. And uh, and so I, the next So that was on a Monday. That Wednesday, I'm sitting in my office. I'm like, man, I told him I'd send him a hat. You know, he probably forgot about it already, right? I'm like, no, I better do it. Because, you know, I mean, he kind of knows who I am a little bit. And, uh, I mean, if Reagan's ended up going to school there, you know, your dad said. And I'm like, ah, man. (laughs) And so I had this, like, struggle for a second. And so anyway, so I I bought a hat. I, I shipped it to him in Grand Rapids. And I thought, okay, well, that was it. And I thought, nothing of it. I used my blow money. Jessica. And so just so you know, I, I'm not sure I even told you about it. I did tell you. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> there goes my blessing. <laughs> and now I'm sharing it again. No, just kidding. But, uh, but listen, so I'm like, well, nothing of it, you know. And uh, it was, a, it was a, an expensive hat to me, but I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to bless this kid. All right. Uh, he was a young youth pastor, junior high pastor. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, this is great. That Friday morning, actually Thursday, Pastor Pete sends me a little text, says, hey, there's a sample sale uh, in Grand Haven. of the, And he didn't even know what it really was. And uh, I show up at this sale on Friday morning, and it was a, a company that they were selling things um, that were, they were getting rid of their old stock, and they had new samples coming that they would go and sell uh, to different organizations. And literally... I was able to purchase 18 of a similar type of hat for $2.50 each. And now they're on sale on eBay, and if you want one, you just come and talk to me. <laughs> they were $24 each retail, these hats, and I've already sold a bunch of them. And when it's all said and done, Pastor Bale, are you laughing at me? Uh, conservatively, even if I sell them for less than half each, I will have three to four times profit when it's all said and done. And is it coincidence? Maybe. Is it the blessings of God? I tend to think so. <laughs> I think I thank the Lord. I look for things like that, how God, he can pour out his blessings. At the same sale, this is really remarkable, there was a box of sporks and you say why would you buy a spork right well there are these camping little tools they're a spoon a fork and a little knife and they're made by this company called light my fire and i recognized them and they had a little logo on them and and there was a whole box of them and uh i said to the lady i said what if i bought all of them how much would you want for these and i had no idea how many there were in the box she said i don't know give me ten dollars and I said, okay. And I went home, and this is the truth. They sell retail between six and eight dollars each, these sporks, these camping spoons. I've got them on sale. I've already sold dozens uh, for three to four dollars each. I will literally have forty to fifty times profit because I don't know, the Bible says if you refresh others, you, in return, will be refreshed. I tell you this to brag on God. It's nothing about me, trust me. Uh, but listen, if you want a spork or if you need a hat, you come and talk to me, and I will hook you up. And... uh <laughs> but what we see is that in verse 19, ultimately the reason you would ever do anything like that, it's for eternity. Let's look at 19 again. It says, in the same way you will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's not necessarily for today. It's for eternity. And then it goes on to say that they will may take hold of the life that is truly life. Living life now for eternity, that's when you really begin. To live, And there's a tie between verse 19 and verse 12, which Pastor Bobby uh, preached last week, which is very cool. When you look at it, it says, fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, uh, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There's a tie there for eternal life. We will, he- we will step into eternity, and hopefully what will be said is, well done, good and faithful servant. So, when we use worldly wealth for the next life, in other words, we are investing in souls, and I'm going to bring the tie here. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16. Look what it says here when we're talking about investing in souls. I love this. Chapter 16, verse 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, you're saying, okay, really? So that, why would you do that? So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling so you can take others with you, so you can make an impact in other people's lives. When, we, when I read this verse, and then it goes on and talks about, you know, whoever can be trusted with very little be and much and, and uh, being trustworthy, it's really great, you should read it. But listen, when I read that verse in verse 9, That is a missions-giving scripture. And you say, well, you know, missions. it's not a mission Sunday, I get that. But listen, we are to live out our mission. It is to become a priority in our lives, our missions-giving. We encourage that here at the Gateway Church. And you say, well, why do we make such a big deal about it? It's because souls are at stake. You win friends so you can bring them along with you. Souls is what really matters, isn't it? It's the only thing that matters. And even though today's not a Mission Sunday, the scripture lends itself to highlight it. My personal story, we've talked about this many times missions in our family is a priority. It's an important, and we consider it as an investment. It's a huge portion of our monthly budget and then even beyond that i was reading in my uh, devotion this week second uh, corinthians chapter 8 where the macedonian church they gave even beyond what they thought was possible and that's our story we've been able to see god do some incredible things you say how does that happen i can't explain it but god does something spiritual something powerful in our lives when we decide you know what I'm going to invest in eternity. I'm going to invest in missions. I'm going to do something above and beyond. And I'm going to tell you one more story, and I know my time is running out, and I want to make sure we get to a response. But listen, there's something that happened last year, and I th- I've shared it with a few different people, but I want to share it again. For mission's sake, um, we do in our budget a certain amount, but then we go above and beyond that, try to every year. And there are ways we don't know how the extra funds are going to come. It was coming close to a new season. In October, we make faith promises. And I think it was late September. One of my board members comes in and he, uh, he was, took a half day because he was going to look for a new car or a newer car. And I said, well, what are you going to do with your old car? And he said, well, I'm probably going to, we just trade them in. And I said, look, hey, I will give you, oh, I said, actually, I said, I will talk to Jessica. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I said, we may be willing to give you what the dealer offers you for your car. And so it went on. Another week went by and nothing really happened. And then he called and said, hey, this is, you know, if you want it, you can have it. Uh, it was okay with him and his wife. And Jessica and I, we talked about it as an investment for eternity. And this was, pr- this was our, our focus 100%. I said, uh, I said, Greg, it was Greg Wilson. I said, Greg, we will give 100% of the profits to missions. Thank you for this opportunity. And I didn't know what that really looked like. Well, the car needed brakes. It needed to be cleaned up a little bit, and I'm good at that. I'm cleaning. I had someone do the brakes. And I bought the car for $4,000 from Greg and Sue. When I sold the car for $7,200, there was an incredible amount, thousands of dollars, that went right into missions. It met our missions budget with, within a couple hundred dollars of the extra that we had planned to give. And I just want to say, praise be to God. It was a kingdom transfer. Uh, Rick and I, we talked about that a little bit, how God, he does that at different times in our lives, that if we are open to the word, we're open to what God wants us to do, when we're open to investing in souls, God, he does miracles as we live out our mission. As we live out our mission. So, three quick takeaways, and, uh, and I don't want to belabor this, and I do want us to get to a response. Number one, you're rich. You have more than you need. I don't think there's anyone here um, that is not in that category of rich. Now, we have different levels of wealth. I understand that, but listen. We, as a community, we are blessed beyond what we really deserve. That's the truth. So the question is, is all right, we're rich. What are we doing with the wealth that we have? One commentator asked a question. He said, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian in your hold Laying hold of eternal life. In other words, your investment in souls. And I'm not, I don't really consider myself a money preacher. I'm an expository preacher. I I take it as it comes, right? But when windfalls of money come your way, which they inevitably will, do you store it up so that your kids can fight about it someday? Or does eternity come to mind? What Paul is saying in these verses is he's saying, "Be careful with your money." And again, the Lord doesn't need your money, but when you enter into eternity at heaven's gates, you're going to have an opportunity to answer the question, "What did you put into heaven? And that kind of comes to the third takeaway, is how you handle your wealth is important. It's a test. It's a test. And we can look at this idea of talents, you know, some, some get 10, some get 5, some get 2, right? And, and, but it's all the Lord's, and we, there's a test to see what we will do with the wealth that we have. There's a great verse in Scripture that says those that can handle worldly wealth will be able to handle spiritual wealth as, all, as well. And I think about that and I think, okay, is it possible that there are some because they're not handling spiritual or uh, worldly wealth well, that it's holding them back even from the things that God wants them to do? And that's kind of scary. But the point is, is that if you're faithful with little, you'll be given little. If you're faithful with a lot, you'll be given more. And my prayer is, according to Scripture, that Jesus, He is coming, He's coming soon. And if that's the case, We are called to give it all, I believe. We are called to invest, which includes our finances, and we can reflect on that, and we can say, God, help us to grow as we learn these principles. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, for the clarity of your word. I pray that it would mean something to us today, that we would learn to surrender everything to you, including our finances. But we give you our lives, we give you our every breath for your glory, for your honor. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.